Good morning, church. We're going to do something different today, as you see from your bulletin. Um, We have a guest speaker who's not looking at you. Um, I want to tell you first a little background. Some of you may know this about HMS Richards, but some of you don't. He was a mighty preacher of yesteryear. As a young minister, he had an idea that he could easily understand how he could reach to 100 people, 200 people, 500 people in a church. But he had this idea, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe I could preach to 10,000 people, 100,000 people. Could I speak to a million people on the radio? Well, would you believe it? Somebody wrote a book some time ago titled, Your God is Too Small. Well, this certainly applied to this event with HMS Richards because there were ministers, actual godly ministers, can I use that term, who tried to discourage him. Radio was evil. It was just coming into prominence in those years, a major prominence. Um, no television, no satellite, but radio, oh, that was evil. That's, that's no good. You've got to be careful here, HMS. But he had this vision and idea that maybe he could preach to millions on the radio. So he went around preaching to churches. Now, you know, it's customary for churches to take up an offering. And he didn't oppose that at all. But he did say, by the way, folks, I have this idea of a radio station to preach to millions. And he said, I have this pocket in my jacket, my left-hand pocket here. And if you would consider or think that this might be a good idea, why don't you just put a little offering in that pocket? And that became the famous pocket of HMS Richards to start the voice of prophecy, you see. And you know, it was tough sledding at first, but finally, the term is on a wing and a prayer, or other terms may be a shoestring. Um, He persuaded a radio station in Southern California to start taking his broadcasts. They had literally no money. But a miracle occurred, and he was on this radio station in Southern California. And um, another lady was impressed with his vision. And she said, I'd like to become your secretary. Uh, He said, I have no money to pay you. She said, no matter. I will be your secretary. So she started donating her time. Well, after the first broadcast, there were 13 letters that came in. 13 letters. And in those days, everyone was answered personally by the secretary and by he who later was to become known as the chief. Well, it went along and money came in because people started listening to to the broadcast. And another well-meaning person donated a large Cadillac that could hold about seven or eight people, apparently. And this this was dedicated to the work of the Voice of Prophecy. And as time went along, um, the quartet that he now was able to hire uh, and HMS Richards and another singer and an organist went around the nation to camp meetings, to churches all over the place and gave the gospel story. And, you know, it's just amazing. The person that donated that Cadillac, I think, had no idea what that would do. The person that at that radio station decided to take on his broadcast, had no clue what was to become of the voice of prophecy. Um, later, he would go around to camp meetings. On one occasion, he, um, <laughs> he 
thought he was to speak the next day on Sabbath. The Cadillac rolled up in the dust, and it was about 6.30, just before sundown worship on Friday night at this, at this meeting, camp meeting. And the people ran up to him and said, we're expecting you, we're ready. He said, we're, we're, you're supposed to speak here in 10 minutes. And he said, oh, he said, I thought I was going to speak tomorrow. No, no, you're speaking right, right now. And he took out of his little pocket here on the left side, you know, he was partially blind in, in one eye, and he took out this little Bible, little pocket Bible, and he took his thumb and went like this, and he said, oh, there must be a sermon in here somewhere. He did have some humor. On another occasion, he uh, was talking in a sermon about, <laughs> he just loved peaches, and he said, there's only one thing better than a ripe Alberta peach off a peach tree, and that's another one. He eventually went around the world with his gospel mission of preaching the gospel. And I remember hearing him say how he would be in perhaps Seoul, Korea, or in Tokyo, Japan, in a hotel room up high. And he would look out over the city with the lights at night, and he would kneel down in front of that window. And he would pray for the people of that city. Amazing. Who of us have done that? kneel down a hotel window looking out at the lights of a huge city of millions of people and pray for the people of that city. He read his Bible through every January and then he read it again from February to December each year. That was his pattern. He read the book of Romans something like 50 times. Um, the idea being he just thought he barely began to understand it the 50th time, you see. Young ministers flocked to him. He would spend time with them, telling them about Jesus. I remember one time at Pacific Union College, he was there as a guest for, for the weekend. He was up on the platform, and um, one theology student thought, well, I'm going to ask him a good question here. I'm going to ask him this question, and it went something like this. Elder Richards what have you learned in your long years of preaching? What is, what is the theme that has, has inspired you the most? And he said simply, Jesus loves me. In the early days of the Voice of Prophecy, very, very early days, I was a young boy in Longview, Washington, and I remember um, my parents had gotten me a little radio. It wasn't like the radios you have now. It was a little funny little thing with a little crystal rock in the middle and you had a little wire doohickey that put a copper wire down on this rock in a certain place. It was an irregular rock. So you had to pick the spot. You could get Amos and Andy or you could get the Voice of Prophecy. And um, I found the exact spot. I didn't know how it worked, but I knew how to work it. And I would find the Voice of Prophecy in the evenings and I'd go to bed listening to the Voice of Prophecy. And it's as clear in my mind's eye today as it was then to hear those, that quartet singing, Jesus is coming again. I will never forget that. And then I heard this voice of this master preacher, and he always talked. At the end of every, at every sermon, he talked and talked about Jesus, and he would always end with a poem that he had created, have faith in God. And then we'd go on with four or five lines of have faith in God. Have faith in God. 
You know, I looked and I asked the voice of prophecy if I could get these, and lo and behold, in my library that I've kept for so many years, I've found, I've found a number of his sermons with the end of the sermon, Have Faith in God. It was really exciting. Um, I have a great privilege today to read one of his sermons. I have been thinking of doing this for a long, long time, and there could be no better words than HMS Richard's words. You know, whether you're a, a Christian that's, or let's start with if you're not a Christian, or if you're a baby Christian, or if you're a teenage Christian, so to speak, in years, or if you're an older Christian, or if you're a Christian that's lost your way, or whatever you are, whoever you are, the subject comes to your mind, if you're honest, it has certainly come to mind, am I really saved? That was his specialty, reassuring people. I visited him a number of times, and I remember once I was discouraged. I went to see him and came away totally encouraged. Another time I went with a friend to his little library behind his house. He had 20,000 books in that library. He told us with a twinkle in his eye, some people come in here and ask me if I've read all these books. And he says, I just tell them I've read some of them twice. <laughs> he had humor. He had humor with his gospel, you know. And uh, so let's, let's enjoy today HMS Richard's words, and I read it verbatim, How to be saved. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house, Acts 16.31. This reply of the apostles to the question of the jailer, What must I do to be saved? Verse 30 is clear and right to the point. And the answer ought to be clear And when the questions of such supreme importance, everything depends on it. Thousands, yes, millions are listening and staking their hopes of eternal life upon it. All men have sinned, and as a result, death has crept like a dark shadow over the human race. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5.12 All men through sin are not under, only under condemnation of death, but they are lost from the righteousness of God and from the glory of heaven. So it is that any message which can bring authentic word from God that men may redo, return to his favor and have a place in the Eden home from which they were excluded is good news that everybody ought to hear. The word gospel means good news. It answers that one supremely important question. How can a man be saved? How can he be delivered from the death penalty of sin and be restored to divine favor as though he had never fallen? That is the question which came right from the troubled heart of the Roman jailer in old Philippi. And sooner or later, it is the expressed or unspoken question of most of us, what can I do to be saved? The answer comes to us as it did to him of that old dark prison. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Christ was a great teacher, but so was Confucius, so was Buddha. But Christ was what these great teachers and philosophers never claimed to be. Christ was a savior, the savior of the world. At his birth, the angel said, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21. 
Christ gives more than instruction. He gives deliverance, more than teaching of lofty principles and moral ideals to which unaided fallen men can never attain. Christ gives power to overcome, power over sin and evil habits, power to live for God. It is said that when one of Emeritus' greatest preachers lay dying, one of his dear ones asked, What doctrines do you believe now? And he said, When I started the ministry, I had 100 doctrines. When I was 30 years old, I had 50 doctrines. When I was 50, I had 10, and now when I come to the end of life, I have just one. When eager lips urged him to name it, he said, Now at the valley of the shadow, I have only one doctrine. The doctrine that I have is that I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. And radio friends, your radio friends this morning, friends, and radio friends... That is the doctrine of doctrines. It is the doctrine preached by Paul under the flaring torches amid the ruins of the Philippian jail. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It is evident that every sinner sooner or later is unsatisfied with life. He longs for something better and often tries to satisfy his spiritual hunger with material pleasures or activities. But at last, he realizes that the greatest worldly success still leaves the heart restless and without peace. He knows that somewhere along the path of life, true soul happiness has eluded him. Speaking to all such unsatisfied hearts, Jesus says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 10, 25, and 26. I cannot save myself. Some mighty power above me must reach down and lift me up to higher ground. I cannot by my willpower or my own acts cleanse my life of sin and give myself a new heart. The prophet Jeremiah expresses it very vividly in these words. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. We cannot change our hearts any more than we can change our skins. The natural human heart is contrary to God's law of righteousness. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Romans 8, 7. By the way, I might tell you one thing. <laughs> When he was a very young minister, HMS Richards was called to give his first sermon in a distant church. And he ran for the train. In those days, it was the train. And he got on the train just by the skin of his teeth, so to speak. He was a little late. So he got to the church, went up on the platform, was sitting there. And he thought he'd take one last peek at his notes before he got up to the podium to speak. To his dismay he discovered that he didn't have any notes. They had apparently flown away when he ran for the train and he had his Bible flapping in the wind and the notes had gone out unknown to him. And then he said with a twinkle to some preachers, he said, anybody that cannot get up and preach without notes and doesn't know his subject thoroughly enough to do that shouldn't be a preacher. But he said it with a smile. 
We may see the better way and have a desire for it, but we do not have the power to live it. We admit that God's way is best, but we do the very opposite. This mental and spiritual conflict is pictured in Romans 7, 14, 15, and 18. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. <laughs> For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which I is good, I find not. This brings only misery, and the soul cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 24 of Romans 7. That is the cry of millions. Any modern worldwide education only makes it more bitter. Men know there is something better. They know there is a higher path of life. They feel the war in their own hearts between good desires and evil powers. Oh, that they would listen to the apostolic answer to this cry. Let us read it as it is in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is help in Jesus. We are to look away from all our failures and bad habits and sins and look to him for help. We are invited to behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. 1 John 1, 29. When the Israelites in the wilderness had been bitten by the fiery serpents, all who were willing to look, just look at the brazen serpent raised up on a cross, they were healed. So if the sinner will just look in faith to Christ as crucified for him, he too will be healed from the disease of sin. It is wonderfully simple and simply wonderful. <laughs> Just look and live. It is written in Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there's none else. That, one of, that was one of George Mueller's favorite texts. Why not accept God's invitation? Some of you, dear friends, listening to this broadcast, broadcast, are far away from God. You are not happy in your sins and your restless heart will never find rest until you look to Jesus for salvation. Remember to believe on Jesus Christ means to believe on him as your personal savior. Upon the cross and what he did there was for you. That there he paid the death penalty that was yours. That you now willingly and freely accept it as done for you. To believe on him includes real faith in his vicarious and atoning sacrifice for you. That's what it means to look on Jesus. He quotes then from F.E. Belden, In a look there's life for thee, in a look at Calvary, blessed thought salvation free, by a look at Calvary. Repeat the best text of all the 31,000 Verses in Scripture, John 3.16, repeat it over and over to yourself and repeat it now with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But now he goes on and takes that text apart 
to put it in a different way, just notice carefully what this text includes, says HMS Richards. God and almighty authority so loved the world, the mightiest motive, begotten Son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the wildest welcome, believeth in him, the easiest escape, should not perish a divine deliverance, but have everlasting life, a priceless possession. Our salvation depends upon the love of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear that we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. It is not hard for us to love those who love us, but it is not human to love the unlovely and the hateful. But God commandeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his love, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5, 8 to 10. Some great souls have given their lives for their friends here in this world. For greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. But our Savior died for his enemies. He saw us drafted to death and lovingly took our place. He was not forced to do it. He gave his life willingly for us. He said, No man taketh, taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father, John 10, 18. Here we see his love. We, sh we shall never comprehend it fully here on earth. And it will be the science and the song of the redeemed through the ages of eternity. From the courts of heaven and the adoration of angels, he came down to this dark world and submitted his divine purity to the spite and cruelty of sin of a race of mortals. He laid aside the glory of his Father's throne and his divinity was shrouded in humanity. We cannot understand his infinite condescension. We can only believe the words of the apostle in Philippians 2, 5-8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbleth himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. When I believe on Christ, I accept all this for me. That is, if I were the only one who had ever sinned, he would have done it all for me. 
He was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as he deserved. He suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 Only love would do this. Only love will suffer and give everything for the unlovely and the unappreciative. A real Christian mother's love is nearer to the love of Christ than anything we know on earth. The friend of a great American preacher took up gambling in the city of New York and as a result of his wicked ways broke his mother's heart. In order to get away from her, he left the city and went far across the continent to San Francisco. There he went from bad to worse and finally in desperation, realizing that he would, could not pay his gambling debts, said, I will kill myself. And he went upstairs to the little room where he had lodged and in despair threw himself down on the bed. As he did so, he jarred something from the shelf on the wall above, and it fell down and struck him. He hurled it across the room, then looked to see what it was. A book. Suddenly he remembered what book it was. God's providence allowed it to open at the right place, and there written across the margin were these words. Dear boy, you will never get away from your mother's prayers. He was struck with conviction and fell on his knees right there and gave himself to Christ. Later his old mother said, I knew he could not get away from my prayers. She did not give up him up. She loved him. Her prayers and her love went together. Then he quotes from Lizzie Armand, I grieved my Lord from day to day. I scorned his love so full and free. And though I wandered far away, my mother's prayers have followed me. He turned my darkness into light, this blessed Christ of Calvary. I'll praise his name both day and night, that mother's prayers have followed me. I'm coming home, I'm coming home, to live my wasted life anew, for mother's prayers have followed me have followed me the whole world through. To believe on Jesus Christ is to receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, John 1, 12. Will you receive him? It is a personal transaction. The Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Why do you not receive him now as your personal Savior? What can hold you back from him? How can you resist his love? Men have no reason for not believing on him to their eternal salvation. They have only excuses. It is because you are not willing to make the surrender of some habit which you like very much, some little pet sin of long standing? Is it because you are not willing to give up all for Christ? Listen, friend, he gave up all for you. For ye, now, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You say you are too great a sinner? Here's the answer to that. 
he is able to also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25. And we read in Romans 3.22 and 23 that there is no difference for all have sinned. No matter how low you have sunk in the pit of sin, Christ is able to lift you up. Then he quotes one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. The Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 118. But you say you feel unworthy. That is good. For Christ came to save the unworthy folk. <laughs> you are just the one he wants to help. It is written in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul writing those words? Again in Mark 2.17, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you hold back because you are afraid you will not be accepted? Friend, Jesus never yet refused anybody who came to him repenting of a sinful life. He has never turned a man down yet. This is what he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 6, 37. Do I hear you say I would come to Christ, but I am afraid I would not be able to hold out? That might be true, but remember, he is able to keep you. He can hold you. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41.10 Christ is able to finish what he starts. You can be sure of that. In Philippians 1.6 we read, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about not being able to hold out. Just put your case in his hands. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude 24. Do you delay receiving Christ as your Savior because you think you are not good enough already? Is that it? Well, he says you need him, and he knows, and you know that it's true. None of us can merit heaven by our own efforts. Salvation is the gift of God's grace through Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is God's way, and it is the only way to heaven. Remember that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 16, 25. Brother, friend, if you will do the coming, Jesus will do the saving. Really and truly, you must decide. Some say, I will, Lord, but not now. 
I will someday, but I'll procrastinate now. I will be like Felix and wait for a more convenient season. Acts 24, 25. God says now. Satan says tomorrow. God says today. Satan says another day. But tomorrow is the day that never comes. It's always today. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. He closes the radio broadcast, quoting from W.T. Sleeper. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, into thy freedom, gladness, and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness, into thy health. Out of my want, into thy wealth. Out of my sin, into thyself. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, into the glorious gain of thy cross. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of earth's sorrows, into thy balm. Out of life's storms, and into thy calm. Out of distress to jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come to thee. You know, all those radio radio broadcasts were timed. They had to be, because he had to finish right on time, right on time. Well, the bell just rung. Since nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus, you did pay it all, and all to you we owe. Sin has left us with a crimson stain, but you have washed it white as snow. Amen.